If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Psalm 8. As we look into Psalm 8, that's where we'll be this morning as we continue to worship our awesome God and reflect upon who he is and what he has done for us. I don't know how your week has been. I don't know how your morning has been. But I pray that Psalm 8, as it was for me this week, is some, uh, serves as a reminder of who our God is and what he has done for us. In Psalm 8, the word of the Lord says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for today. As we were reminded of just moments ago of the opportunity we have to gather together to worship you. How this is just a little picture of of what heaven will be for eternity. Worshiping and glorifying and learning more and more of who you are. Lord, I thank you for today. And as we continue to worship you through the preaching of your word, Lord, I do pray that you are glorified and that you are honored. As other churches gather to worship you today, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in that. And we pray for gospel preaching churches here in London. We pray for Summerside and Pastor Devin as they gather in much the same way we are. And I pray that you would bless them, that they would be faithful uh, to your word and continue to be faithful to your word as they seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. May you bless them as they uh, seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And may they see fruit from their labors, Lord. And as we continue to worship you through the preaching of your word, God, we pray that you are glorified. And God, there is absolutely no possible way that I can do this on my own. So Lord, by your spirit, will you use this sermon to glorify your name? Will you use it to bring joy to your people? Will you not use it to bring salvation to the lost? And amen. Before we get in here, let me just, a couple of reminders, which I forgot. We have a woman's uh, Bible study, which is starting up in September. There is both a morning and an evening of the same study. So if morning is something that is better for you than evening, if evening is better than morning, I encourage you to talk to Stephanie, and she would love to talk to you about what we will be talking about. And we also have a membership class starting up on September 7th for anyone who's interested in becoming a member or is just wondering what in the world membership is uh, as a church. So Psalm, have you ever seen the majesty of God? How is the majesty of God seen. When you think about that, this is an amazing chorus of praise. 
And imagine with me as you are outside of the city because you need to be outside of the city because you don't see stars in the city because we like our lights ourselves. And you go out to the countryside and it's, it's dark outside. You can't barely see the hand in front of your face. You found a field maybe somewhere and you kind of lie down in the field and maybe you hear the cows mooing in the distance or the rustling of animals. And then you just look up at the stars. You look up the stars, the night sky, which is clear as day, and you can just see with all of those constellations. You see the moon shining bright as you lay there on the ground, and you just stare. When you look up at the stars, what do you see? What do you see when you're looking at them? See, Psalm 8 is a song that was grown out of an awe-filled observation of the night sky. This is young King David, who had plenty of opportunities to do that. If you remember, King David was a shepherd, and as he was a shepherd, he would be tending and guarding and protecting the flock of his family day and night. And as he laid there contemplating the universe and staring up at the stars and the sky and the moon, these are the words that came to his mind. The majesty of God is seen in his creation and in how he gives humans responsibility for creation. And this is what brings joy to the songwriter as he reflects upon who God is, as he says those words in verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. In prayer meeting, uh, some of our saints started singing the song, which I won't today. But in Psalm 8, verse 1, at the beginning, and verse 9, we call these the bookends. These are the bookends of the psalm, and they are devoted to praises to God for his majesty of his name as he reveals his character. O Lord, our Lord. The translation is, O Yahweh, my Lord. O Yahweh, my Lord. Yahweh is that name of respect for God. In Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, we see the reminder of how important it is to honor God's name. And he has revealed his name to his people, which is an amazing thing. Our God is not a God who is distant and, and up there on his throne and, and doesn't show himself. He has shown himself to us, and he has given us his name so that we may praise him. We know specifically who he is. It is the source of awe and wonder of what the songwriter is reflecting on as he looks up at the stars. God has gifted us his very name. This is a radical self-revelation where he makes himself known and accessible for his people that he has made in his very image. It's not, we don't have a hidden God. We don't have a God that can't be known. We can know him and his name is Yahweh. And we can praise him. And we can say how majestic, how majestic is your name as we stand in amazement of what God has done. The psalm writer isn't responding in fear. He's responding in awe and wonder as he reflects upon how Yahweh, the, his God, created all of these things as he reflects simply on his name. It brings him to praise. 
and awe and wonder as he uses that word majestic like a mighty ship or like a mighty leader or a mighty noble the psalmist is is talking about a power that is visible that is on display for every single person in the world to see that is what creation is doing And as the Apostle Paul even reminds us of in Romans, that is what creation is doing. It is showing us the very character of who God is. This is our God. This is the source of our awe and wonder. Will you walk with me this morning as we take some time to see and to study and to be more in awe of who our God is. Our awe of who he is should bring joy and praise into our lives. See, joy is not something that is transient, that is missed. Sometimes I have joy and sometimes I don't. My joy is based on the very character of who God is and God is unchanging. I can be happy and I can be sad. We all have those, but joy comes from who my God is. And the psalm writer is reflecting upon who he is and what he has done for him. As he says, my Lord, my God, how majestic is your name in all the world, in all the earth. As he reflects upon in verses at the end of 1 and 2, he's looking at the creative power of God. What an amazing contrast between the glory of God in the heavens and the praise of infants. Isn't that amazing? You have set your glory above the heavens. There is a mirrorism here from earth and heaven. The extent of God's glory encompasses all creation. Every inch of this is showing his glory. I can look at the simple blades of grass and be like, wow, my God. It should be able to. Because can you make grass? I have a hard enough trying growing grass. His divine glory permeates all creation. He is adoring Yahweh. The songwriter is adoring Yahweh's glory. Just as Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly, clearly shown ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we, so that they, are without excuse. The Lord's glorious rule over heaven is no surprise even for his people. We see it again in in, in Psalm 19, verse 1, which says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. But the marvel is that his creation not only reveals, but is also glorious in itself. As the songwriter, it continues on. Even in Isaiah 6, verse 3, it says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Even the praises of children are silencing the discordant notes sounded by the enemies in his creation. Jesus uses the same passage in Matthew 21. As the Pharisees come and they start uh, attacking him verbally. And he says to the chief priest, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant to God, to Jesus. 
And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, yes, I I do hear them. But have you heard out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? See, regardless of how the wicked assert themselves, they cannot outdo the evidence of God's glory. No matter how hard. No matter how hard they try, they cannot outdo what God has shown about himself in in nature and creation. Such an amazing contrast between the weak and the strong. But because God, whose praise they sing, the weak silence the powerful. His glory is established, and no enemy can ever overcome him, his kingdom. See, there was a time in our history where science was used to explore God's creation so that we may learn more of who he is. Now, science is often used for the very opposite, to try and prove that there's not a God, but no matter how much they try, they keep hitting a wall. Our God shows himself. Every part of it is a testimony of who our God is. Even as Jonathan goes to Dalhousie to learn a mathematical subject that most of us will never understand, math shows the glory of God. And that's what it is. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Creation cries from the top of its lungs those things. Creation invites those of us who do not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to bask in the wonder of how how a God created all of these things and what that means for me. He is holy, and we have sinned against him. If he created all of this, I'm sure there's some repercussions for my sin and my rebellion. And there are. It's called hell. But praise be to God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, who stepped down from his throne, whom created, through whom all things were created, stepped down from his throne, born of the Virgin Mary, grew up, died on the cross for our sins, and three days later rose again and ascended to heaven and will one day return. That is who our God is. When you look at the night sky, at the sunset or the sunrise, when you look at the trees or the grass or the fruit that is growing in your back garden as you see the tomatoes or cucumbers growing or whatever it may be, as you smell, as you take in the deep air out, out in the country and smell the blooming flowers of the spring, what does it bring you to? For the psalm writer, it brings him to worship and adoration. The worship brings him to his knees in humility as he contemplates the God who created all this and his own frailty. As we see in verses 3 and 4, we see human frailty that comes through. The song is painting a picture of contrast between the heavens and the stars and us puny human beings. If you can't look up at the night sky and realize how small you are, you're full of yourself and you need to repent. That's what I would say to you. I know I'm being a little facetious, but come on. Think about this. 
Even though we are puny, God cares for his people. The creator has established two areas of rule that we see here. He has established the heavens and he's established the earth. In Genesis 1, 17 and 18, we see that God establishes the great, two great lights, the sun and the moon and the heavens and the sky. And he has given them the rule over day and night. But here on earth in Genesis 1, 28, tells us that God appointed humankind to govern everything. Remember What do you think of when you look up at the night sky or see the sunrise or the sunset? Think about this for a second. I had to look this up. It takes us about three days to reach the moon, approximately seven months to get to the closest planet to us, Mars. 15 months to reach Venus, 6 years to reach Jupiter, 7 to reach Saturn, 8.5 years to reach Uranus, 9.5 to reach that one that used to be called the planet, Pluto, and 12 years to get to Neptune, which is the furthest one. The sun is point uh, 0000015811 light years away. And in the best case scenario, it, we could reach it in 25 days. Best case scenario. So how big is the universe, you ask? The universe is around 93 billion light years. This is when you should bring up Jonathan to do all the math. How much is that? Well, let's think about the sun again. The sun is one astronomical unit away from us. One astronomical unit is bear with me, 149,598,000 kilometers away. And at our top speed, we could reach it in 25 days. Now, the universe is 93 billion light years across. One light year is equivalent to 93,000 astronomical units. As much, one light year is equivalent to 9 trillion kilometers And our universe is 93 billion light years in diameter. That's how big our universe is. When we stand in the night sky and we look up at the stars, that is what we are contemplating. The vastness of our universe. And that's not even the end of it. The 93 billion years is just the observable universe. That's what we can just see which we currently can see, the whole universe might be, I don't know, 250 times bigger than that. We don't know because we can't see it. Or at least 7 trillion light years in diameter. And all of that, he created humanity and stuck us on a planet that is situated perfectly enough to have life. Psalm 8, verse 3, when I look at the heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Psalm 144, verse 3 is the same question. O Lord, what is man that you regard him and the son of man that you think of him? And the grand question in all of this, what science is trying to prove is why? Why is the universe so big? 
I'm a little bit of a science nerd. I like sci-fi. I'm not going to lie. I like the Star Trek stuff. I get it. I'm a closet guy. Watched all of them. And I think all of them try to explain this one question, why is the universe so big? In all of those shows, they always say that there's more life out there. As humans, we're always seeking to find more life in there. And to be honest, I don't know what the answer is to that, but the answer that I do know, why is the universe so big, is verse 3. When I look at the heavens and the sky, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, the universe declares the glory of our God. Why is it so immense to glorify our God? And that is a God who cares for you. He is a God who cares for you. He understands. When you look at the vastness of space and the order and the importance of the heavenly bodies, the songwriter comes in and is, Who am I? What am I? What do I have to do? What do I have to say? That word man is poetic for humanity, for human beings. It's, it's talking about the frail human existence. And the son of man there is a contrast with God, the heavenly beings. Human beings are by nature these little specks in the vast universe. And yet we have the particular objects of God's attention. The Creator has invested glory and honor into humanity. He is mindful. He cares for. He, talking about God's care for us, He remembers positively by acting on behalf of the human race. We call this common grace. The same rain that falls on the righteous is the same rain that falls on the wicked. Have you ever taken your stand, as the psalmist does here, beneath the night sky and felt yourself dwarfed in insignificance, but it's by its almost unfathomable immensity? Glittering stars flung across a dark void of space like some abstract painting, and when the people of God wanted to express for anything too vast to be counted or even comprehended, this was the image that they used. God created all of these things. His name is majestic in all the earth, and his glory is above the heavens. Humanity created in the image of God is also majestic. He cares for you. He knows you. He is mindful of you. See, to be made in the image of God means that only humans are uniquely created in the image and likeness of God. As much as we love our animals, they are not. We are. We are different than all of the other creation. We were made like him so that we could be in a relationship with him. The one and only triune God. But sin has perf perf uh, prevented that image, perverted that image. We no longer reflect him as we did before sin came into the world. But the good news, the great news, is that God is redeeming us 
as individuals. He begins to restore the original image of God, creating a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The redemption is only available by God's amazing grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the only way. You ever wonder why we live in this world where everyone is like demeaning the image of God all day long? I look at the news and I look at what's going on in Afghanistan and my heart breaks. How dare we? How could we possibly be doing that to other people made in the image of God? Well, here's the answer. Because the image has been so perverted by our sin, we so desperately need a Savior. And Jesus Christ steps down from his throne. His blood is what is used to purchase our souls. And he gives us a new heart that enables us to believe so that we may better reflect him. Are we perfect in reflecting him even on this side of the grave? No. But we seek to do better at it. We seek to do better. In the book of Hebrews, the writer even quotes this psalm telling us that the Savior is Jesus, who is the perfect representation of the humanity described in this psalm. Through Christ, we are made new creations in the likeness of God. It's amazing how in our society, we try to demean the image of God. We call a baby in the womb a parasite. And we call a senior in a bed a waste of, of, of resources. We don't care about those who are made in the image of God. God does. And so should we. In this verse, in these verses, there are thoughts of God's creation, kindness, but it is in contrast to the wrath of God that could and, have, could and justly be poured out on us as fallen humans. Romans 1, 18 to 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly given. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been said so that they are without excuse. In Romans 2, verse 4, it says, And do you presume on the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I look at this world. I look at all of the things. It is beautiful. I've been around the world enough times. I've been to different parts of this world, and I would love to see more of it. In every region, I see God's creative power and what he has done. Think about how gracious our God is. We've rebelled against him, our creator, yet God still dignifies humanity as a steward of his creation. The psalmist wants to drive home our fragility and limitations as humans in a comparison to the awesome, universal, creative power of Yahweh that is displayed in the heavens. Yet in Christ, we have an infinite God who particularly cares for us, and this should overwhelm us as we contemplate the heavenly expanse. 
your God, our God, cares for you. You know that thing that you haven't shared with your family? You know that thing that you haven't shared with your church family so that we can pray because you don't want to be an overbearing or whatever it may be? Your God knows about it and he's mindful of it and he cares for you. He cares for you. The creator of the universe, the, the universe, the very universe that shows and displays all the glory of God cares for you. And how do I know that he cares for you? He has placed us a little lower than the heavenly beings. He has given us the responsibility and empowerment to, to be stewards of what God has given us. And this should bring us to praise and worship as we reflect upon these things. Because in verses 5 to 8, we see empowerment and responsibility that God has given us. Humanity has been given place as God's royal representative to rule over creation. We have been crowned with glory and honor. Everything that humanity has been is a gift from God. Everything. We live in a great country. I, not to be biased, but I think Canada's the best. I know an American would be like, oh, no, we're best. I'm like, no, you're not. I think Canada is. I honestly, truly do. I've been to other countries. Canada's a great country. And we've been blessed so much. And it's all a gift. In verse 5, we see, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You make him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. This is important. You and I are born sinners, but our significance isn't just limited to our existence before sin. Humanity is still crowned with glory. We aren't divine. We are not God. Don't ever hear me say that. You are not but we are made in the image of God. God has given us a royal status. It's here that God has given humanity to be less than God or less than the heavenly beings, depending upon your translations. God has placed humans far above the rest of creation. God has given humanity the highest possible honor on earth, create, creature by creating them only a little less elevated than beings that occupy the heavenly sphere. Humans have been catapulted far beyond their seeming weakness and insignificance, not by any value of our own, but simply by the action of a free divine choice and grace that causes a human jaw to drop and the mind to be blown. Because we are made in the image of God. It is so dangerous when we start, the, the image of God is a major doctrine, and when we start messing around with that, we mess around with a lot of things. We, we no longer care for people the way that we should. We can really do whatever we want. It also means that we're only created, that we will only ever feel fulfillment in one way, and that is to worship God, because that's what we were created to do. We were made in his image. Humanity's position over creation was given before the fall. It was not taken away after the fall. You see that in Genesis 9. We're God's appointed governors, his vassals over creation. We are just stewards of this world. 
You know, it's so tempting to take this passage and turn it into something that it's not. But on a quick note, it doesn't mean that we are to treat what God has given us with respect. That means your money that you have. It means your job. It means your family. It means recycle. Not because it can prolong anything, but because it's been a gift given from God. Imagine, right? You give your kids, if you have kids, you give them a gift. You, 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 you spend so much time trying to find that thing that they just, you know, they're going to love. Maybe it's expensive, maybe it's not, doesn't matter. You, you've invested in it. And they take it, they throw it to the side to open up their other present. How do you think that makes you feel? I know how it feels. Our God has given us these great things. The great king has appointed the human race to maintain dominion over creation and not to be controlled by creation. We have royal authority and responsibility for governing earthly life. And what does this all mean? What do we do with all of this? Now what? Humanity can only view our blessing and privileges in the context of our creator's greatness and glory. We are his creatures, his creation. He is our maker. So here's the main point. The majesty of God is seen in his creation and in the responsibility he gives to humanity for his creation. But that was all marred at the fall. And the one through whom the world was created came to restore the image marred at the fall. He empowers even the weakest to participate in his redemptive plan. Verses 1 and 9 of Psalm 8 are not just the bookends of the psalm. They also anticipate the end of all things when Christ's enemies will be made a footstool for his feet and his name will be majestic through all the earth. Our God is coming back. He will come back and we will be with him forever. Another thing is this, and since we bear the likeness of God, his very image, how are we to go about displaying it to the rest of creation? Let's be honest, we don't always get this one right. How many times have you cut somebody off on the way to church? But we're here to display who our God is. There are moments of inspired behavior sometimes that approach the love and care of God, but for the most part, humans present a poor picture by which to know and understand the Creator. So thank God it's not based upon my witness and yours. <laughs> but let us bear that image with pride, proudfully and, and with honor and dignity. The image borne by humans has been tarnished and twisted almost beyond recognition. It is little wonder that when the world looks at the human condition and even the example of the Christian communities, so many come to question whether God even exists. But our brokenness is no excuse because in Christ, God has offered a remedy for the human brokenness. In Christ, we are spiritually empowered to look beyond ourselves and our own desires and to relate appropriately to other humans. 
The majesty of God is seen in his creation and in the responsibilities he gives to humanity for his creation. How is the majesty of God seen? It's seen in his creation, seen in you. So next time you stand under this night sky and you look up, think about Psalm 8. Oh Lord, how oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, who am I? What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Let us praise our God and let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. I'm in awe and I'm in wonder of who you are, that the creator of the universe is mindful, that he cares for us. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would rest in that, uh, knowing and understanding that you are a God who did create all things, but you do also care. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would be disciples ourselves, that we would grow in Christ's likeness. And as we continue to grow in Christ's likeness, may we be bold with the good news of Jesus Christ. In a broken, broken, broken world that we live in, Lord, you are the hope of the nations. May you be glorified as we continue to worship you together. Amen.